1: And the greater the length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting, too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space, imagine silent forever. The Penis Project Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost. Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not for profit charity set up in 2012 by myself, Dr. Joe If you want to know any more Sound information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to Prost.com.au. It's Prost means cheers to your health, so Prost to I you. <laughs>
0: A second and listen. So today we'd like to welcome Percy. Uh, Percy was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2017, in early 2017, and had his operation in April. Um, he has an interesting story because he actually didn't take it very seriously when he first got diagnosed and waited for six months before he acted on his referral. So let's talk to Percy and find out his journey.
2: Oh, Hi, okay. Hi, ladies. Um, yeah, so my PSA was always fairly low. It was always around you know, the mid threes, and one blood test it went up to I think about 3.7, and my doctor said that's fine because I'm old, now getting older, and you know, How
1: old are you, Percy?
2: I am at 61. So you know, back
1: then you were 58, 58 and 57. your doctor told you you were getting old.
2: 57. 57. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> not that I felt old. Um, so he sent me off to uh, see a, a specialist urologist, um, and with work commitments. I dragged the chain a bit for about six months. I changed the appointment several times. And by the time I went to see the urologist in, I think it was the 23rd of February, 2017, um, he said, you've got a 50% chance of having prostate cancer. And I said, okay, so 50% 50 chance of uh, benign cancer. He goes, no, cancer's cancer.
1: Benign, you thought the
0: word benign
2: benign cancer? Yeah, benign cancer. So I thought, oh shit! So, um, <clears throat> so I drove home, quite numb, and that same week I had uh, biopsies done, which confirmed I had uh, Gleason scores of, you know, sevens and eights, and um, so it wasn't looking good. So, um, so then in the journey, waiting for the six weeks for the operation, I had a. I think it's called a PET scan, where they put radioactive dye in your body mm-hmm. yeah. to make sure the cancer hadn't spread elsewhere because it was so advanced. And luckily, it had only just escaped the capsule into some fatty tissue, just minutely. So when I had the surgery, he said he's going to cut far and wide, which he cut far and wide and took <laughs> out some lymph nodes. And and before the surgery, I was thinking, well, he's going to cut this out and cut that out. I'm going to be a dribbling mess. And... Um, um no more erections but i thought oh, i want to live so. so you want to live
1: and and, and then you surgeon actually suggested you come along to a physiotherapist. yeah and you actually got diagnosed on the 23rd of february and you must have made a call pretty quickly because i saw you two days later on the 25th of february and then five weeks later you had your surgery so what do you recall of that initial physiotherapy pre-op consult five weeks before you surgery? five
2: weeks well I remember coming and meeting Jo, and then she showed me all these scenarios for the future, which was included uh, penile pumps, vacuum pumps, uh, tablets, injections, and I thought you know, it was all a bit mind-numbing,
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> um, and my main thing was, I didn't want to be peeing myself, yeah. that was number one, and I thought if the pecker still works, well that's a bonus, yep. and if I live, well that's an added bonus. <laughs>
1: So I the I did order,
2: the, the order was... Well, <laughs> it was very confusing. Yeah, yeah. So until you've been through that journey, mm. you really don't know what your head's going to think.
1: Big head or little head.
2: Big head or little head, yeah. Mm. Mm.
1: And so dazed and confused, I put the ultrasound machine on your belly and taught you how to do the nuts to guts exercise. And then you promptly did some wonderful things. You, you got into the exercise, pelvic floor, then you started shedding
2: weight. Yeah, nearly 10 kilos are lost in six weeks.
1: Have you kept it off?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> so, Some of it.
1: So then we went and had the surgery. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about the surgical time, the catheter experience for you?
2: Okay, so prior to the surgery, I had an appointment with the um, catheter nurse at St. John of God's Hospital. Yeah, yeah. And I remember she showed me the hose pipe they were going to put in to the end of the catheter, <laughs> And I thought... That was surely for a much bigger person than oh, myself. Yes. And she said, no, one size fits all.
0: Okay.
2: Um, which was, I thought, oh, okay, well, when they put it in, I won't feel it. And I hope I don't feel it when I wake up. So I had the surgery. It was, I went in about 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, I remember waking up about 11.30 that night with all the bells and whistles and compression bandages. Yeah. and
1: things, Yeah.
2: And I wanted to put my hand down under the pants or the yep. the thing to, to feel it, but I was so too scared.
0: just wanted to make sure you had not chop your pecker off. <laughs> I,
2: just, I just didn't want to feel that hose pipe. So um, so in the morning, they got me out of bed. Yeah. Um, and I stood down to have a look at it, and I thought, Christ, where's it gone? Like it, the whole it, penis had shrunk. Had it, it It was probably sticking out. 20 millimetres from my body, and I thought...
0: So this, I always tell patients when I see them yeah. pre-op, when you wake up and you've got that catheter in there, yeah. he's going to be hiding like a turtle head. Don't worry, it's not yeah. gone.
2: Yeah, well, that was that was one thing I was never told by anybody, mm. and I thought, you know, if I sneeze, it's going to disappear. <laughs> uh, and, and it was very embarrassing because it was, like, well, young nurses, and they're trying to shower at me, and, I'm,
0: yeah. and
2: I've got this tiny little winkle with
0: nose pipe
2: hanging out of it, which was just about the same diameter.
1: Do you know, this reminds me of one patient that he fondly calls himself the bladder man, and he woke up unprepared to find himself in compression stockings. No one mentioned that. He looked down exactly as you've just described, saw the tubes hanging out, and he freaked. He went into an absolute meltdown and didn't stop sobbing for three days. Mm. We had to get psychological intervention for him on the ward because... He was so fearful that he turned into a transvestite. This was his words because he looked down and just shrunken penis, white stockings, and he had no
0: preparation for <laughs> no. it. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing, but the way he said that he thought he turned into a transvestite. Oh, no, no, he, he actually was no.
1: psychologically
0: in really? distress, absolutely mortified. He still had to have post-traumatic stress. There's um, two kind of things thing. that I think people aren't told often enough early. Is One, that when you ejaculate after you have the biopsy... It can be a lot of blood. I,
2: yeah, I wasn't told that. No one
0: gets told that, and I think that's a real shame because I think that's hard hard for people to face. And yeah. the second is that when the catheter's in and you wake up from the surgery, often the penis just disappears. And, and also a third, that you will no longer ejaculate. Yeah, I think a lot of people know that. Well, in my experience now, when I see them post-op, they've expected that because that seems to be like people talk about that yeah they but, didn't used to but i bring no. it up at every yeah it's, it's, a, it's yeah. my I'll, final comment
2: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i knew that was the end of it yeah.
0: yeah yeah but you didn't know about the blood with your um biopsy?
2: Not, not that i can recall no, no i no. think
0: I've seen lots of men really traumatized by that actually
1: Sorry. i just want to go back one step further because we we had a slightly unusual situation your dad had had Prostate cancer,
2: is that right? Yeah, Dad was diagnosed about 2015. I remember when Mum and Dad told me that Dad's got prostate cancer and I thought prostate cancer was an old person's disease which was like a, a very sort of safe type of cancer. Mm. I didn't realise the ramifications of it and it wasn't until about 2016 when Dad's cancer spread to his bladder right? and that's what really prompted me to go and have another PSA test
1: yeah so your PSA didn't show up that clearly though did it
2: and either either did my dad's, my dad's PSA didn't indicate he had cancer either
1: so there's some um, non-PSA responders type, like they're they're a bit more silent my own Mm. dad's got that same but it tends to be more aggressive Mm. there's actually about 26 different types of prostate cancer believe it or not so some some men um, don't have that fortune it's just that the PSA is probably a little bit erratic and the DRE examination or the digital uh, finger-up-the-bum test, as we say, is able to pick up those cases. Ten percent, I believe, are not picked up by the PSA but will be picked up by the DRE, but it's not as meant to test anymore amongst GPs. Mm. So we're also a little bit worried about that. Occasionally, you know, we'll pick someone up that would have missed otherwise from the blood test. So the PSA blood test is imperfect, but... Yeah, because it's a... I'd
2: never had a digital examination in my life ever.
0: Right.
2: It was always a one-way valve f- for me. And
0: <laughs> well, it's actually not recommended the digital in even in the Royal College of GPs now. Yeah. Um, but and I think the problem is is that it's like a lot of things. If you don't do it often, then you get you don't have the skill anymore. So it's something you need yeah. to do a lot of so that you know what feels normal yeah. and what feels abnormal. Yes, my
2: urologist said if. You know, if someone had felt that 12 months previous, they would have realised there was cancer growing there. Yeah. Mm.
1: yeah. So the PSA has been very controversial. The DRE has been very controversial, but we don't want men not to go to their GP and get assessed. So if we're picking up 90% of them through the blood test, mm. then the goal is that should um, you have an opportunity then have that, you know, sort of regular assessment that prostate cancer tends to be slow growing, not all, but if you have that regular monitoring, it's the change in the PSA or the change... In, in maybe some silent symptoms like a slightly reduced flow or just, you know, getting up a little bit more often than usual. It can indicate the prostate's getting enlarged, but there's often this subtle change retrospectively that my patients will say to me, yeah, I did notice something was different, but it was so slow to change that it didn't, they didn't really think too much of it. So I want to move on now to the erectile function. So your continence recovery was pretty quick, and um, how 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 long did it take you to gain your confidence and be pad-free in your recollection?
2: Oh, I've got your notes here, but... Okay, let's see how good my recollection... I'd say within 10 to 12 weeks I was pad-free and I was probably really pad-free probably after about nine weeks.
0: It but sounds I, like you were really conscientious and you I did just, everything
2: Joe told you to. Oh, I, I, I walked around the, the kitchen in the block and I was sucking myself in, nuts to the guts, and, <laughs> and I was... I, you know, when I was driving, I, I drive a lot for work and I drove to Geraldton one day and I reckon I must have done a thousand of them.
0: Really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't necessarily recommend that, but yeah. you know what? Go with it, yeah. you know. It um, worked. I do have a have funny comment to make. You told me, and this is a very common thing, that you did have something called the follow-through, no, the flow-through fart. You had something called the flow-through fart. It was a terminology, so... People out there will notice that there is such thing as the follow through fart. When, in fact, one of my patients told me last week it's called a shart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, learn, I learn a new word every week. So the shart is actually something with the bowel. Yep. Follow through bout when you get a bit of fecal matter in your underwear. You're being very polite but there. That's yes. when you shit
0: yourself when you fart. <laughs> 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 but the flow through fart is when you actually
1: leak urine when you fart. Do you remember all of that?
2: Yeah. <that's> hmm. It only happened. Uh, on a few occasions, yeah. So I was pretty good at um, controlling the wind, <laughs> the farting, and I perfected it by crossing the legs and lifting up one cheek and letting it go, and that's.
1: Probably... Do you know how many guys I've actually shared your little um? So he do? can you just talk us through it? Because it's monumental man
2: so, skill. So when I had when I had the pad and if I had to break wind, I pissed myself. Yeah. Only mildly.
1: Due to the increased intradominal pressure.
2: So I thought I've got to work my way around this. So I tried crossing my leg left over right or right over left, <laughs> and just squeezing the wind out, and yep. that stopped the leakage altogether. So do
0: you have to like jam your penis between your two legs?
2: No, just just cross it over. Right.
0: And you did a little side tilt, and you said very gently yeah. release. Don't go, <laughs> go <from>. yeah. <laughs> like a man normally does.
1: Boom. You're like keep
0: it, keep it gentle, keep it subtle, and. So, is that
1: right? So this
0: is really bad. What happens if you fart when you're asleep and it's post-prostate <laughs> surgery? Do you pee on your wife? <laughs>
2: he
1: has
0: to be in the same bed. And yeah. most wives are like,
1: oh, I'm not going to sleep next to You're going to have waterproof sheets and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. You're yeah. going to flood me out of my own. Bedroom. Um,
2: mm. No, I mean, obviously, you know, for those weeks after the surgery and I had the pad on, um, I don't every recall cool actually peeing yourself in my sleep, no. Mm,
0: okay. You were lying down.
2: Yeah. It yeah, might have been a bit of a dribble. Yeah. That, but no. I mean, oh. I was quite fortunate where there was the skill of the surgeon and all the exercise and... It's
1: a team effort. Yeah. team effort.
2: Yeah. And I was focused. I didn't... Because I, I had these horrible thoughts, I'm going to be sleeping in the kid's waiting pool for the rest of my life. <laughs> and that's what I thought, you know, initially. Mm. Um, and I thought, there's no way, you know. Must have been... So if, Sorry, I
1: moved you out of the, um, the the big pads at night to the small pads, the little shields, and then you progress from the bigger pads in the day to the shields, the smaller pads, and then we sort of have a, I call it the pad weaning protocol that yeah. works very well. Then end up having that opportunity to walk around in your own home environment in the morning when the muscles are nice and strong before you've had the fatigue setting on by the afternoon. And um, yeah, that works really quite well yeah, and well, yeah. gives you that con- confidence through the day as you progress so you know we've got this window of opportunity pre-operatively we did the five weeks You fit in perfectly to my trial outcomes and you were a member of my random control trial where um, within 12 weeks we had 75% of men completely continent with a high intensity program but I want to show my research the erectile function also simultaneously improved at the same rate but oh no that was a different story so I'm going to get Melissa to take over
0: here, and the whole uh, penis aspect of things. <laughs> so what did happen with your erectile function? What was it like before the surgery?
2: Um, that was, you yeah, know, I think it was pretty good to my age and all that. I mean, Would your
0: wife agree with that?
2: Uh, probably not. <laughs> but, yeah, um, it was
0: working when you wanted it yeah. to? It was showing up to the party yeah. when you tried? Yeah. yeah?
2: So, um, yeah, then obviously after the surgery it sort of... It declined massively. Mm-hmm. Um, but funny, the day I had to go to have the catheter out, uh, my wife came up to me and gave me a bit of a hug and it sort of stood up just a little bit. Moved,
1: thought, there's a movement at the station. Movement at the station, yep. Fantastic.
2: And I remember speaking to the urologist about it and he goes, Well, that's a good sign because in his surgery, I had, I had the robotic surgery and he spared, I don't know what percentage, but a lot of my uh, nerves. Which Perfect. Was So, yeah, so then I was given uh, Cialis, you know, to try, which I took every second or third day. Mm -hmm. But that's, I think it was 220 bucks for a script for the 5-milligram one. So probably I, you know, obviously I didn't take it every day, but Mm. if I took it it every day, well, maybe it might have been a better outcome.
0: Every second day is recommended because it lasts in your system for 36 hours. So every second day is pretty good. And... Also, now you can, it's off patent, so you can get it much cheaper
2: now, yeah, which, which is a great thing, yeah. yeah.
1: Through compounding chemists and all GPs can write that up for mm-hmm. you. Okay.
2: Yeah. 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 So, talking about that, so, you know, having sort of met Melissa on the phone du- during the COVID um, break, um, I've got a script for that compounding uh, product, seven milligrams. Yeah. Which I take every day, and it's a vast improvement.
0: Is it? Great. And so, your erections now are good enough for penetration?
2: Perfect, yeah. Perfect.
0: Yeah. Great. Yeah. But there's a big
1: story between that that little tablet and what I want to now talk to you about, and that is very much that we are three and a half years post-op now, Percy. So for that first year, you said that you did dabble a little bit with the pumps and things. Can you tell us why you might have stopped between one and three and a half
2: years? Okay, so um, one guy I went to see... Um, he prescribed me a a handheld vacuum pump. Yeah, yeah. Which I sort of found whether I was using it right or wrong. I don't know, but when I did use it, I felt like it was going to blow my bits apart. Oh, with too much pressure.
0: Yeah. So just just on that note, I think a lot of guys feel like more is better. That when you use the pump, you've got to pump it right up, but you actually don't. You only need to get enlargement and engorgement in the penis. So I just tell people, you only need to get 60%, 70%. It doesn't have to be a full erection in there. So it just needs to be comfortable. If you think about lifting your weight with your bicep, it just moves in and out. It's not about blowing it up, Mm -hmm. and it's exactly the same. Think of it as exercise for your penis. But I think it's normal, and that's what most guys do. They just get carried away and think, whoa, how big can I get this? And you don't need to do it that
2: much. Which is right. And then... Uh, yeah, so I sort of put that way in the cupboard and then um, uh, obviously come back to see Jo for work on my back, and then she told me about this new machine that she had.
1: So I'll we'll just step in there. So Percy had actually visited my physiotherapy rooms for lower back pain and actually joined my yoga classes, which I was very impressed that Percy became a yogi and that greatly helped uh, just general mobility, back pain, and things like that. But you actually had a bit of a sore shoulder and you came to see me after having your back pain resolved with a couple of sessions and I said, oh, look, the shoulders can be a bit tricky to treat. There's often bursitis, but I've got this new focal shockwave therapy machine. I'm trialling out. Um, have a go with the, with the shoulder. Within two sessions, we had that chronic sort of pain much greatly improved and you said to me, uh, the clincher, Joe, do you reckon the shockwave therapy would help my penile function? And I said to you, well, there's no research, there's no evidence in it, but in post prostatectomy patients, it's probably potential, but we don't know anything about that. But I said to you, Percy, have you had any tablets recently? Like the Viagra's, I said, after three and a half years, maybe there's some life um, as the nerves have actually recovered you know, from the healing state or neuropraxic. You took a couple of tablets and what happened at home in that first week before we even started the shockwave therapy?
2: it was movement. Yep. So uh, I was very surprised. I remember I woke up, you know, if it was the first or second night, and I had like a, um, you know, like a decent erection. I and remember. that was
0: just after I prescribed that. I, I think it was after that, the second
2: night, and I, I, I remember my hands down my pants and hanging on, and I thought, you yeah, know, this is good. It's, it's, back.
0: Back. it's like, Hello, it's old friend.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I did notice right down the base of the shaft there was like, sort of like bristly-type lumps. Right. And
1: that... Yeah, and that's and that's when Percy said to me, sorry, I was really surprised that the medication worked to some extent. It's not something you could do much with at the time, but you said, I had this discomfort right in the space between the um, base of the penis and the perineum or the squirtion. And you asked me if I could... Focus the shockwave therapy there. The protocol within the focal shockwave machine is already set up for erectile dysfunction for men who've had um, diabetes or vascular changes. So I was very happy to do that. But what we did was we applied the shockwave to that area that you had described to me immediately. And the protocol is for 3,000 shocks for treatment of erectile dysfunction in, in normal populations, not prostate, um, post prostatectomy patients, and within 250 shocks. We both got the shock of our lives, I think, because your penis decided to, um, right. to grow and elevate to a full maximum erection right in front of our eyes. And it was somewhat comical because you said, oh, my God. And I said, are you okay? And you said, I'm just so embarrassed. And I said, don't be because this is this is science happening before our eyes. And um, we proceeded to continue with the shockwave therapy. and we, uh, It's called tumescence. So the blood flow, I believe, from the cavernosal, nerves was getting a bit stimulated which is an attachment to another nerve called the pudendal nerve and all of these areas are pretty much affected during the surgical procedure but because we say it takes about two years for the nerves to recover i think you were ripe for the picking like it was three and a half year window already and the nerves had potentially recovered you just hadn't stimulated them so we went on to have a weekly um shockwave session from then on and what happened in the preceding weeks after that first session
2: um well, every night I was waking up with an erection. I mean, I, I mean, some nights it it would actually wake me up because uh, it was sort of so firm, and I thought, God, "Wow!" This is...
0: And is that gristly feeling still at the bottom, or is that gone it's from gone. the shockwave? Excellent.
2: Yeah. So it's like it's like it's sort of unknotted or not.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: So Are we just, you know, I I feel very much that we could potentially change the face of men's health in this context by. We're not really sure when the appropriate time might be to add the shockwave therapy, but it is very new. And um, I've just done a little bit of um, webinar work for the company who has the machine, and um, we're educating. But we're using clinical case studies Uh, Surprisingly, I've already had two guys as well. We've applied it as the guinea pig sort of case studies at the moment, who within one session each have reported a drastic improvement in their continence function as well. So it's basically hard from one session. So the the nerve that's associated with the continence mechanism and the erectile mechanism are partners in crime. So um, this is another potential area for further research that um, we're hopefully going to investigate. But I'd like you to describe a little bit more about the day-to-day feelings that you suddenly noted after three and a half years of not much.
2: Yeah, well, it's like feelings that you'd forgotten about, like when when you're a, a like a, pubes- a pubescent, a pubescent, pubescent tr- a teenager. A p- p- tweenie, a tweeny, Yeah,
0: yeah. A tweenie, yeah. <laughs>
2: That's you know um, you had all these little tingles in your mm. in your winkle as you tingles in your winkle. Tingles in your
0: I've got so many potential names for this <laughs> one. Tingles in your winkles, winkles. The flow through farts. Um, I don't know what to use. Percy's pecker. <laughs> All and
2: it. and I'd forgotten all about those feelings, and I'd be driving along, and all you needed was like a bit of corrugation in the road a bit or of vibration. Or run over. A...
0: I've got a funny story about that. When I was 18, one of my very good friends had go. a boyfriend <laughs> whose nickname was Cuppy, anyway. <laughs> and we used to drive down south in my little 1971 Snock Green Corolla, and every time he sat in the back seat of it, something about my car. Made him get a crack of fat. But how do you know about this? Because he this used company. to tell us. He used to sit. We. I'd be driving. One of the other girls would be in the seat, and her, him, and his girlfriend would be in the back. And he'd go, "Oh no, it's happened again." Well, here we have episode four <laughs> of our Penis Project. Patrick Lombroso,
1: my rest in peace, yes. beloved um, psychologist, um, who specialises in prostate cancer, interviewing the founder of the Penile Vibratory Stimulation System,
0: yes. all about erectile function way back in 2015. So my 1971 snot green Corolla was the first Viborect, maybe. It was, and
1: 1971 <laughs> is a
0: particularly good year a very is. fine vintage Melissa. It is, but and, um, yeah. it was, yeah, so I do understand yeah. about that. So do you know we used to all race to make sure someone else sat in the front seat of my car just so we could make Cuffy sit in the back <laughs> and we could all laugh at him? <laughs> So anyway, sorry. Go so
1: on. we had four weekly yeah. sessions
0: of the shockwave. Yep. And
1: uh you Percy then had, a tinkle in his winkle. Had yeah, then had the opportunity I think you had to go up north and work for a little bit. Yep. Without the shockwave. What was going on in that month?
2: So I think I was away I didn't have any treatment for three weeks. Yeah. And as soon as I went off the beaten track, down a track, I went down lots of tracks. Yep. The vibration it was
1: tingling away again really? you didn't just see the little fist raised arm there yeah. um, in the audience yeah. but so, um,
0: yeah, great.
1: I know this is a bit of a um, touchy aspect of the recovery there but um, you did say to me that you were able to have um, sexual activity nine weeks ago and yeah. that was a pretty successful yeah yeah yep. mm. right. you...
2: it was really good yeah and yep. did you
1: did you need any medication
2: uh, well only. You know, the tablet, which I had the night before. The one Cialis, yeah. The yeah. daily dose, yeah. Uh, your tablet. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And today, if I said to you, um, we've now done six shockwave sessions in total. In fact, you came to see me last Saturday and you said, I don't need any more sessions. I'm pretty comfortable. And so we did a International Index of Erectile Function um, test and you actually came up ranking pretty well, but you, there was still a little room for improvement. So I've just, just suggested we do another couple of sessions and you're quite happy to do that. I'm also noticing when I provide the shockwave therapy to men, who have had radical prostatectomy, that you can tolerate the shockwave at the highest possible area, uh, level. So it's the sensation. It's like a pricking sensation. In fact, some of my patients refer to it as a prick machine um, versus when I have non-prostatectomy patients receiving it for Peyronie's disease or other things I'm working with, it's highly sensitive. So in my uncovering of others' research, particularly Frey from 2017, it says... 25% 25% no, percent of men notice a reduction in sensitivity to their penis. Is your penis more sensitive now that you've had shockwave therapy? To the touch, to the feel? What, what's going uh, on there? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. well, I mean, it's not as, a sensitive, as sensitive as it was, you know, Normally. 30, 40 years ago. Yeah.
1: Because
2: I think everything dies as you get older. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's an immense improvement.
1: And you think that immense improvement I know it's hard to, to describe but the the Cialis actually helped initially. Yes. And probably that helped your confidence, I think, to kind of in, start to self stimulate a little bit. You've sort of mentioned to me, so that you were getting a response.
2: Yeah, that's it, trying it out. Yeah. Yep.
1: And then it very quickly moved to um, you know, spontaneous erections even when you're walking along with um workmates on the on the building sites you've said, you know, you just couldn't couldn't really stop it was just
2: yeah, spontaneously just spontaneous yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. You know, there's no seagulls flying by or anything like that which <laughs> yeah. you No, know, it just you know, spontaneous it just happened yeah was, You're
0: like an 18 year old boy again well i think joe's yeah. shockwave machine's like the rejuvenator prick machine or something it's amazing i don't know but there's a body of research that yeah. needs to be done and um we've got a
1: phd looming hopefully melissa yeah. on this one yeah. um but, but, you know, it's an exciting um, opportunity to let men know that, you know, Well, I always say while we're breathing, there's hope. Um, yeah. I have a book right beside me that was the 2011 bestseller, The Brain That Can Change Itself. Um, and particularly in health, if you have an injury, if you have some impairment, the brain's pretty clever if we rewire it. And you just
2: have to be positive, I mean... So nearly four years since I've had the surgery, four years ago, if you asked me what my mindset would have been today, I would mm. have said shit, you know, yeah. it would have been dragging your lip around, you know, desperate and you know, full of despair and that. But, you know, I'm sort of really happy with the outcome. Obviously, I'm still missing a few, you know, a few bits of the anatomy, but I'm alive, you know, it works, I don't dribble. Yeah, you're um, doing great. I'm happy. So. And you're a yogi? Yeah, Yeah. Good
1: too. Do you go? Um, sorry. Do you go? I was going to say, and also, Percy was amazing. He he got very involved in the long run for the Prostate Cancer Foundation last month, and you helped our PROS program raise more than $15,500, and you were the single highest fundraiser. Wow. And that 72-kilometre walk, run, or jog, or cycle over the month was all because there's a 72% increased risk of suicide in men diagnosed with prostate cancer, so... I'd really love the story about how you got men to jump on board to help you fundraise. Can you give us a little bit of a heads-up
2: there? Well, first of all, if you you had prostate cancer, don't be embarrassed about it. You tell people about it and they'll talk to you about it. And when I found out that I had it, within a couple of weeks, there were so many people that I deal with at work that that if I either had it, know someone that's had it or Mm. died from it or whatever.
1: One in six men. There were so
2: many people... um, that I know um, who've, who have had prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so don't be embarrassed about it, talk about it, and there's a future.
1: And what about the long run? How did you get ma- your mates to so, chip in the cash?
2: So I emailed everybody that I could think about and messaged. Um, obviously a lot of people you know, didn't reply or didn't donate, which is fine, but the ones that did um, all, all sort of seemed to outbid each other. Because you so, had the
1: you decided to link them all into the same email, didn't
2: you? You didn't B yeah,
1: so B so, C certainly. So
2: so there's about a half a dozen guys who I linked in the same email.
1: Yeah.
2: Told them my story, what I was after. Yeah. Um, so one guy donated maybe two hundred. Yeah. And then they must have looked and think, well he's donated two hundred and I went up, I'm going to donate four hundred. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and the next one owned five hundred dollars off one guy, so yeah.
0: So So you had like a a bidding war going on of who can be the coolest. Mm. So
1: it was such a clever marketing strategy from you there, Percy, to think, you know, I'm going to put all these blokes in to the one email Mm. and they they did what men do. They
0: muscled each other out with their wallet. Now I want to ask a question back to your dad. Like what's happened with your dad?
2: So dad passed away um, uh, three, well, not three years ago, two and a half years ago. March.
0: From prostate cancer? Prostate
2: cancer, yeah. Dad's cancer, when it was diagnosed, obviously we didn't know that it was serious, and I don't think Dad did either, or, or he was ignorant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, unfortunately, Dad's cancer went from his prostate to his bladder, which was then treated, and then he, um, then he had radiation, um, and that nearly killed him. He ended up getting a perforated bowel and no. septicemia.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: poor man. Um, so he survived that. And then, um, unfortunately, it spread um, to his oesophagus and his liver, kidneys, lungs. So this is
0: a perfect example of why early detection and treatment is just so so important. And you've got first hand experience. So my
2: dad, he wouldn't have, you know, spoke to anybody about it. Mm -hmm. He would have gone to the doctor. The doctor said that dad would have said, "Yeah, that's okay." You know. And you know what?
1: You guys, your dad was diagnosed in about 2015. 15, yep. You were diagnosed in mid-2016, did nothing about it really, yep. or the signs were there. Mm. So your dad is how much older than you?
2: Um, if dad was alive today, he'd be 84.
1: So he's about... 23 years older. He had you when he was 23. Mm. So, so we're talking about this... As Melissa just said, the advanced prostate cancer of your dad yep. was picked up by your screening earlier as, you know, 23 years younger. So yeah,
2: I mean, it was really dad's, um, dad's outcome which prompted me to go and get another PSA test. Yeah. It was only six months after I'd had my previous one, mm. which apparently Int- was still fine. Yeah. And it was only my insistence with my GP that I got sent to a urologist. Yeah. If I hadn't been insistent... Even if that, okay. And
0: that I just think goes down to that whole genetic link between it, yeah. and just go. You know, if you're at all concerned, if you've got a family history, then get it checked out. Definitely. And there's a, a one in the...
1: two chance. There's yeah. a one in two chance if yeah. you're a male with it that they're a brother, father,
0: son, yeah. yep. uncle, we'll grandfather. I mean, and your well. outcome could have been so different. You know, then you can see that in your very own family between the different oh. paths you've yeah. taken. Well,
2: three, three and a half years ago, when we went to see my urologist, because yeah. my uh, blood test that I have every six months or every twelve months now, it's you know zero evidence of any PSA.
1: 100% recovery. 100% yeah.
2: recovery. Um, and he said to me, he said you've dodged a bullet. He yeah. said if you hadn't done anything today, you would have been preparing you know for your death. Yeah. So
1: in my own family, it's very strong. Hmm. Um, my dad was diagnosed at 70, and three of his first cousins also. Those three decided they didn't want to have treatment. And my dad did. Mm. The others didn't make it to seventy-two, but yep. my dad's five years strong now. Yep. Um, very, 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 yep. you know, aggressive in our family as well. But yep. I have two brothers. I have two sons. They're all mm. aware that you know it's something that we're a bit predisposed to in our family. Yep. Um, but I actually have had two patients now whose sons have been diagnosed with prostate cancer before their fathers then their fathers have gone to have testing and found they've had it and they've ended up having surgery around the same week. Really? (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's been quite crazy. And also twins, a number of twins, Mm. within two months...
0: Three months yeah. at times i've got quite a few brothers like i've got and two brothers, at the yeah. moment brothers yeah. that are both i've got a man i saw today actually is quite interesting he and his brother have both been diagnosed at the same time one's chosen the cyber knife yeah and one has chosen to go down the surgery path so it's going to be a very interesting thing to watch them very interesting because today i actually scanned
1: um a patient at um uwa who in 2011 actually never had the opportunity to have, have surgery. It was radiation at that time because his PSA was about 18 and they didn't even contemplate surgery at that time so he's now very severely incontinent and um, eh, struggling because the radiation tends to catch up with you over time as well so there's actually no research in pelvic floor training in men with radiation treatment so or erectile dysfunction or so yeah or erectile dysfunction so there's lots lots to um keep on progressing with keep talking about um, Percy, do you have any final words you'd like to share for any other men, particularly if they're diagnosed today? If they're listening and they've just been diagnosed,
2: if you're diagnosed today, um, talk to some, talk to an expert. Don't read what you read on the internet because I believe ninety-five percent of it's false and scares mm. the crap out of you. Mm. Um, so speak to someone, someone that's had it, or speak to a professional who knows what they're talking about.
1: And these days we have the wide um, ca- kind of campaign by the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia. We have prostate cancer nurse, PCFA nurses now. Um, there was like a handful of them, I think maybe 12, maybe six to eight years ago. Now there's close to 100, um, and they're really important because they're that sort of neutral ground opportunity to seek advice and um you know, one thing I really would like to say is it's really important to take your partner or another set of ears with you because most men at the first instance are so shocked. They get told they have cancer and they don't really hear too much else and then you you get armfuls, wads and wads of pamphlets and things and I try and put everything on one page because it's a confounding thing but I, I've i heard many guys say, and particularly Patrick so his words were, do not panic, go and talk as you've just said, to health professionals that you trust, get to know them, even the research says, develop rapport, and it's just like placebo, 40% of the time, if you if you get along with that person, you feel comfortable and you can ask questions, you're already halfway there.
2: Yeah, but, but you're right about the literature and, and paperwork, I mean, I had a suitcase, not a, a briefcase, yeah. from, from yep. here and there, and I only cleaned out my office the other day and looked at it, and, and I just... Look, where do you start well I actually read through it all again Yeah. and I, as you said one piece of paper tells it all and I just threw it all in the bin
0: mm. you don't need it anymore you're no. cured
2: well, I hope so mm. <laughs> I hope thank
0: so. you so much Percy for coming in and sharing yeah. this with us It's <laughs> such, a, such a wonderful story
1: yeah. of beginning to end and it's sad that you lost your dad along the way but his experience is now enabling us to share well, your right. experience well that's right if it
2: yeah. wasn't for my, uh, my dad's um, outcome or prognosis, um, d- yeah it's quite possible I'd be dead by now so yeah mm-hmm.
0: exactly yeah. so you know and speaking of the dead
1: the mantra for my shockwave is we are waking up the dead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, well Thank you so much. Really right. appreciate it.
1: I'm gonna tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Dr. Joe here. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We aim to release one podcast per fortnight so please keep in touch so you know when new podcasts are being released. Also, be sure to check out the show notes below so that we can all keep the conversation going.
2: Campfires
1: and bugs, Smoke and bark in a cubby up a tree Try to ignore